I have been listening to Despacito. Yeah. <laughs> what a jam. I think someone posted like um when Mary Pete dropped out, they like captioned it Alexa played Despacito. And so I've been listening to that a lot. That's funny. Alexa, off! Oh my god, we just got exposed. It was a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Activist Class, everyone. I am your... Lovely host, Aretha. I'm here with Adeshik. Team. Long pause. <laughs> Team long pause. Hey. <laughs> Chrissy. Hello. Myra. Hello. And our esteemed guest. <laughs> Corny. <laughs> I am Corny. We got JM <laughs> here on the pink couch. And we got Lizzie here on with the gray Uno. couch. Both couches? Both couches. Asian couch. Asian, ca- Asian half of the room. Jam just called you corny. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Jam she called me. me boomer. I, yeah, I did call Jam a boomer today because they'd be acting wild in all these group chats and I had to tell them that I don't want to read a bajillion text messages from them about their emotions. <laughs> about a text wow. message. Wow. You said that during Pisces season? Pisces? Pisces. I don't know how to say that word. Boomer. <laughs> Myra is a Pisces. Everyone lay off. Pis- oh, a Pisces defending a Pisces. I learned, I learned Pisces. the horoscopes in Spanish, yeah. so every time so I hear Pisces, I hear Pisces. Pisces, yeah. Pisces. Jam and Aretha also uh, uh, let each other go on their Tinder accounts, apparently, and ghostwrite yeah. for them. Who Who's the better... Uh, ghost tinder writer for the other person jm jm has game like you have ah! not seen Damn. no 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 no, no. we were all faded we were all faded <laughs> <laughs> i was just swiping right for everyone oh no oh my that's god jm do you know how many weirdos i have in my fucking dms now that's what happens at three in the morning when we all okay you know. okay anyway <laughs> this is not an ad this is not an ad for tinder <laughs> Tinder in the age of COVID-19. So, Jam and Lizzie, can y'all tell the people what you do, who you are? Uh, I'm Lizzie. I use they, them pronouns. I organize with Parasol, Pacific Rim Solidarity Network. And I am working in healthcare administration. I'm JM. I'm also a community organizer, and I organize with Parasol and also fight APICAG family um and we are folks who work with asian pacific islander um folks who are incarcerated and communities out here um and i'm also a healthcare worker yeah all right so we're here to talk about some covid19 stuff we couldn't avoid it for much longer we are in the epicenter of ground zero the ground zero of the virus at least in america in the u.s no, absolutely in the u.s <laughs> only 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 in the u.s yeah it's a global pandemic right right but we're ground zero mm-hmm. in the u.s in the u.s okay cool how how long has this been going on i feel like it's been many months since yeah. the beginning of january many moons i think they had their first case in china in december mm-hmm. and there was a lot of cover-up by the chinese government so li wenliang who's the doctor who kind of Li Wenliang is the 
Chinese doctor who was trying to notify the public about this new virus, he was noticing his patients and he was silenced by the government. And there was, you know, just like a lot of um, shaming, blaming, um, and he just wasn't heard. And I think it's really interesting to think about the origins of this virus because a lot of people are like, oh my God, it started in China, in Wuhan, where people like do strange things like eat bats and eat random, you know exotic food but i think we have to look at it in the context of climate change capitalism industrial production that has changed china drastically in the last 20 30 years and changed the globe drastically right so you have these novel viruses that are coming up that we actually don't understand right and like there's easy transmission between animals and humans because of this close proximity right all these forest lands all these you know quote unquote nature have been destroyed because of capitalism to build factories in Wuhan and Wuhan actually is a really interesting place in um, in China because it's kind of the heart of iron production heavy industry and so it's faced a lot of changes in the last 20-30 years and so I think we can't separate you know when we think about diseases and how they come about we can't separate them from the social context of our era you know and the and neoliberalism and how it's working um yes jm go on (laughs) but i think that's an important perspective to take because so many times i think my main issue with this virus how it's transmitted to people and how our response is to it is like it's been so individualized and so like neoliberal right we're told to wash our hands constantly and please wash your hands please wash your hands but there needs to be more that more than just individual responses is this system that created this disease you know and so our responses have to address the systems right and this is actually an important time for us to look at you know, in Seattle, in the states, what is what are the structural inequities that are um, gonna make some people more vulnerable to to this disease and this virus? Um, yeah, I can go more on, but you guys. So this problem, you know, once you know, they'll probably find a vaccine, and we'll probably stop thinking about this eventually. But what you're saying is because it's rooted in things like climate change this problem is just going to continue to happen in different forms yeah we're going to have spurts of new viruses new diseases the way we're living is actually making it conducive for these i mean i'm not a biologist or epidemiologist or zoologist or whatever but we're making it easier for viruses to pass from animals to humans right and that's just zoonotics i think is the term it is and we're actually like favoring faster mutation of viruses because we're intruding into their natural habitats right these viruses which otherwise would have Mm -hmm. been you know around animals with no human contact are now coming closer to us and adapting themselves to survive Mm. so i think we need to think about that like yeah coronavirus might end but something else might come up and Mm -hmm. because these viruses happen in such spurts like pharmaceuticals aren't they won't profit off of it you know what i mean like it's like the profit incentive is so great for how the medical industrial pharmaceutical industrial complex works and like with ebola with you know coronavirus with sars is like these pharmaceuticals aren't prepared they aren't preparing the motivation is not preparation to protect people the motivation is you know to make a lot of money out of these disease out of certain diseases that 
unknown to impact humans for long periods of time, right? But with these diseases that are like come up in spurts, there's no, you know, there's no profit incentive in that. So that also makes us really vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? And it addresses all these deeper, you know, capitalist principles and values that structure our everyday lives. Is this a conversation that's happening right now in public health about how to work on policy that protect communities that are most vulnerable? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think people are talking about the incentives that pharmaceutical company ha- companies have to produce drugs, to um, manipulate policies, to... Um, maximize profits off of patents, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of drugs, new drugs, are started as like intellectual property, essentially, and you can get a patent on them for 20 years. If you change certain things about the drug, for example, um, using like off-label uses, like Mm -hmm. the most common example is using Botox for migraines rather than like um, elective... um, like cosmetic uses, then you can renew your patent for um, the 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also um, initiate different levels of legislation so that uh, you can avoid your drug from going generic. I mean, there's a lot of policies that um, pharmaceutical companies can leverage to to maximize their profits over an extended period of time. And there are um, a lot of consulting companies that profit off of telling pharmaceutical companies how to do that. It seems like this issue is so intersectional, too. Kind of what Jane was saying about the way our entire economy is structured, the way our communities are structured, um, the the way our our cities are are built and laid out, and where industrial areas are, where homes are, where people get to be separated and have space, and where people don't get that opportunity and are living on top of each other. Mm -hmm. So it seems like we're going to have to get people from across sectors working on policy to to fix these problems is are those conversations happening outside of public health with other sectors i would say that the way that our system is structured right now is that things happen in silos and things don't people don't really talk to each other like um our built environment i would say like is a our built environment is a huge factor in um public health and the overall health status of communities, right, and populations, but your sector on the built environment isn't necessarily going to be communicating with public health or Mm -hmm. have public health issues in mind when they're building sidewalks and streets, and um, they're Mm -hmm. certainly thinking about, like, funding, uh, which we know is going to be uh, disadvantaging or already marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. There's definitely talk about that in, in uh, architecture and urban design mm-hmm. circles. Totally. Um, but it tends to be uh, overly technocratic, and um, a lot of activist voices aren't in those rooms. Absolutely. Usually, mm-hmm. um, there there are instances where there are, but like I said, this it's it, it's just like you get. Uh, ex- it's just smaller and smaller crowds that are actually talking about that inter- intersectionality. Um, I, but yeah, I don't know. I personally don't know. Like, where do you take? What's the next step in talking about that? Like, talking about sacrificial zones, talking about environmental racism. Like, what's the next? Like, where? Wh- 
what's the forum to talk about that? Mm-hmm. What's a what's a sacrificial I was zone? Say. Oh, yeah. a sacrificial zone is um, is that where they sacrifice goats? Mm. <laughs> Whoa, it's demonic. It's unfortunately <laughs> way more sinister than that. But um, it's essentially usually low income areas, usually communities of color, and that's where they um, call them sacrificial no, zones. No, that's, um, wild. that's what we call them. Oh, oh okay. okay, yeah. But essentially, it's it's where factories are built, is where pollution is higher, mm. it's where super the airports zones. are. Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh, super zones. Super zones. That's one. Yeah, that's another one too. But mm. um, environmentalists call them sacrificial zones it. because okay. it's like you're sacrificing the lives, mm-hmm. the the lungs, the brains of people that can afford mm-hmm. to live there because mm-hmm. there's no other place to live. Um, and where. So- so like for example would be would beacon hill be an example of that because of all the airplane like the air, the noise the pollution du- the duwamish um right. the waterways waterways mm. are is a perfect example a of, of a sacrificial yeah. Okay. zone mm-hmm. yeah and well. that's like the carceral logic too right of mm-hmm. like whatever you don't like you lock up mm-hmm. and put far away from people whose, whose lives are more valued mm-hmm. exactly right and so that's yeah the justification also for prisons, mm-hmm. right? And like detention centers. And you know, the Northwest Detention Center is on the Superfund site mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. intense pollution and it's our loved ones and families who are there who are not seen as people by, mm-hmm. or, or who are not valued it's, mm-hmm. yeah, by it's, the it's, system. It's, it's a value question, it's a value right. judgment, right? Mm-hmm. These are the underclass, so therefore we will put them in the most polluted areas right. of our cities and landscapes, etc. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's where we put them. And I think, like, when I think of, like, disasters and crises, and I think of Katrina, and I think of the right wing and the Amazons and, like, you know, these major capitalists, it's like they make use of crisis moments to build the world that they want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? Rahm Emanuel said, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Yep. That's deep, you know? <laughs> and they're going to mm-hmm. throw away lives to build... They will... And that's the thing, they make use of our anxiety and fear in that moment where we surrender our power to the state because we haven't had these conversations of how to take care of each other because we've outsourced our relationships and we have outsourced our need to care for each other yep. and the burdens of what it means yep. to, mm-hmm. to see someone else on the street who's suffering. Mm-hmm. We've outsourced that to the state. We, have, we call 911 when you yep. know we're scared rather than like... When we Talking call to each other. Yeah, we don't we don't talk to our neighbors, right? We just mm-hmm. call nine one one. We outsource all of that. We give our power. We surrender our power to the state. And so, when something like a crisis happens, and COVID nineteen happens, or Hurricane Katrina happens, we're like, oh my God, state, come rescue me! Even though we know the state sucks, mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. create the opening for more prisons. They create the opening for more gentrification. They are using this moment to create the world that they want. And I think the question for us as organizers and leftists is how can we create the world that we want and from coming from a place of valuing the lives of people who are in these sacrificial zones, caring mm-hmm. for the people who are now in these super fun sites at Northwest Detention Center, in the prisons, in the youth jail, where King County, I'm like, what is your policy mm-hmm. for protecting these people? You know, Iran has released 54,000 prisoners because it's a public health hazard. They're recognizing it. I swear to you, someone somewhere knows of a coronavirus like case in one of these major institutions, right? In one of these prisons. And that information is not out and available to us, right? And so how do we make use of this moment to be like, we value these people inside. We're not forgetting them. Mm-hmm. And we want you to release them right now. And we want them to stay out. Because if they can be released during a crisis, 
Then why they can't shouldn't they be there in the first place. Yeah, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be there in the first place. And that's our most vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Like having been a nurse at Harborview, mm-hmm. I've seen homeless patients who are walking around with like festering wounds. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. who have who are IV drug users, who are getting secondary infections, all of them. These people are still out there. There's no housing for them. Mm-hmm. They're sleeping like I don't know, one feet apart from each other. They might not be dying from COVID nineteen because A, they're not being tested, and B, they're dead before we're testing them. They're dying from secondary infections. And so their numbers don't show up as deaths that create that caused by COVID nineteen. You know, and then they're hiding behind the fact that we don't know, like it's an invisible death, you know, and mm. it, the same shit goes on and on. And so I think this is a time for us to make really important demands to protect our people and be like drastic times call for drastic measures, mm-hmm. right? And sorry. Go, go. No, no, yeah, no, I mean, you're going. describing disaster capitalism mm-hmm. um, because that's exactly what happened with Katrina. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Immediately, the 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 I don't know about the state, but definitely the city uh, started rebuilding their tourist their tourism, um, and not the homes of the people and that charter schools. Yeah, mm-hmm. th- and not the homes of the people that suffered the most. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. they we know, use we that know. as an opportunity to privatize their public education. Oh wow! Yeah. Mm. And I think that's the question we should be asking now. What are they gonna use this for? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? They're gonna do border checks. I don't know around our neighborhoods, and mm. those are not gonna go away, yeah. even after COVID nineteen is over. Right. The residual effects from this. Well, going back to what you were saying about the the state's self awareness, knowing that. Well, is there self awareness you think from them, or is that giving them too much credit that if we have to do a crisis? temporary release of prisoners because of an outbreak then they'll give more ammunition to anti-prison organizers who are like well if you couldn't do it then just like you said like why not continue to find alternate solutions to the youth jail something we talked about last week with the new youth jail just getting open just a couple weeks ago i think it's it's not just a I, I want to make sure I'm not framing it as an opportunistic, like, oh, let them out now, we'll keep them out. But we are actually projecting our values. Mm-hmm. And when we're saying let them out now, but we're not just responding to them on an emergent crisis moment. We're saying these are our values, that these lives are precious and these people deserve to live healthy lives. And even after the crisis, these lives are still precious and they still deserve to live healthy lives. And healthy lives means not being caged up in this shithole right and so i want to make sure like it's it's not framed because that's how the right things about it they're exerting their values in moments of crisis and so we need to also similarly prepare for imagine Mm -hmm. how they are going to exert their values what is the world they want to create how are they going to make use of this crisis what is what are our values and we need to name them Mm -hmm. what is the world we want to create what Mm -hmm. is the world we want to build and how are we going to push those values in this moment and fight them if i mean of course they're going to fight us after you know if we're trying to say release Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. but that's when we organize that's Mm -hmm. why we bring Mm -hmm. people out so there's a national right response with trump's administration there's what you're saying is needs to be a leftist progressive response to what's going on with the crisis what has been the neoliberal Seattle response so far? You think fucking With- hoarding, yo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, like, yeah. Don't you think paper. every other people need to to wash their hands too? You're gonna yeah. hold on to all your hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you need other people to wash their hands. Too. <laughs> I was thinking so about that the other day where it's like the ways in which we embody capitalism in mm-hmm. our everyday mannerisms, right? Where it's like, I got to get mine and I got to protect mine. So I'm about to go to the store and buy all the fucking, not even the soap. I'm just going to buy all the Purell. People aren't buying the soap. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been seeing that go on Twitter. Like the fact that this goes back to like the lack of empathy and the way we've outsourced these emotions and like our own ways of thinking about how to make sure that like the community is safe Mm -hmm. rather than like just our individual selves and what i've seen highlighted in seattle especially is yo like how individualistic we can be like Mm -hmm. people will really like when you're in that mindset of like grabbing whatever you need for yourself you're not even thinking about the person to your left or to your right um and this is, you know, Myra, I saw you tweet about it the other day where it's like, this is a stress test, not only on our healthcare system, but also like on like our value system of like, how, where are we really at with this shit as, as a community, like as a city? And it's very abysmal at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a really deep question because we're dealing with people's, you know, anxiety with death. Yeah. Right. And yeah. we're getting down to that of, I mean, I see people die a lot. Mm-hmm. On my work, at my work. What type of nurse are you? I've been a nurse at Harborview for about seven years. Yeah, yeah. And um, I work a lot with elders and, mm. you know, people who, who actually have respiratory stuff and mm. heart disease. Um, the people's nurse. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of a lot of um, poor houseless folks who come mm-hmm. through, and you know, it's really sad to see people die, and yeah. people die alone. A lot of people yeah. die alone, mm. and. I think what we are seeing, you know, we can call it many different things, but when it comes to that moment of death, people want to protect their own, right? right? When, yeah, and we don't have, I think there's also like people's individualism that's coming up, but there's also, I mean, I always think about like, there's no space for people to exercise other muscles, Mm -hmm. right? Muscles of compassion, muscles of empathy. There's no space for that. And so we only offer that to people in our nuclear families, right? right? And I think that's the task of organizing. How do we, you know, create that space to be like, you know, you don't have to hoard because mm-hmm. if something happens to you, I'm going to look out for you. Right. I got you. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and we don't have that collective space right mm-hmm. now. And so it makes sense that people are hoarding, that people are doing this shit. I mean, you asked about King County response and I do want to thank like a lot of you know, I know people who work in King County Public Health who are just working super hard right now. Like, they're really, you know, I mean, I'm maybe the pessimist. I'm also really anxious. I'm like, I'm nervous that there might be a major outbreak among our homeless population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And A, the deaths might not be recognized or made visible because people are like, you die anyway, you know, and people are really anti-homeless. Um, and... You know, this this disease hits the elders and the right. immunocompromised. I right. mean, in China, the death rate for folks in the 70s and 80s is like 15% or some shit. Like, that's a huge yeah. percentage, yeah. you know? And it's really scary to... And, and this has been breaking out in the nursing homes. Mm-hmm. I used to work in the nursing home, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, you know, the statistics are from... What we have are from... Um, there's in the Kirkland nursing home, right? Which is... East side, pre- predominantly white, I'm guessing. Um, I don't know for sure. But, you know, there's a lot of nursing homes with people of color. And are, is the testing happen, happening there? I'm pretty sure it's not. Right? Oh. And I know a big controversial thing that's been happening is that uh, 
the uh, quarantine site that um, people in White Center are really against. Um, but then after that, I heard that there's other testing sites being opened up. Where was that shelter when we had the emergency, mm-hmm. state of emergency for homelessness? Exactly. exactly. Yeah, what do, you, do you guys have thoughts on the quarantine site in Kent yeah. slash White Center? Why didn't I mean, you buy a fucking motel earlier for the homeless folks? I think there's just so many other opportunities as well for to to quarantine and house people. Like, how many units of housing are standing empty right now? Mm-hmm. Like, that's where my mind goes. Is like, why why aren't we calling on opening up those spaces or the empty houses in Mercer Island? Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to acknowledge folks are, you know, re- trying to respond really quickly right now mm-hmm. who work for the county. Absolutely, but. They're governed. It's like I come back to this like drastic times call for drastic measures. And our measures, if they continue to be governed by capitalist principles, like the really basic one defense of private property, mm-hmm. then we're not going to be able to come up with the drastic measures. Totally. Mm-hmm. Like right now, like people talked about housing, like squat the damn houses, developers release, you know, there's so many empty, empty houses, empty, empty rooms. You know, like if we are serious, if we are serious that these housing homeless shelters are, you know, mm-hmm. hotbeds for coronavirus, open up that damn housing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. fucking Amazon, South Lake Union's empty right now. Donate three, four buildings for houses, people and thank mm. them for quarantining because self quarantining sucks. That's mm-hmm. a sacrifice mm-hmm. that yeah. you're making for your community. Yeah. You're not getting paid. Right. You're not seeing anyone. You're isolating yourself yeah. for the good of other people. Yeah. And exactly. I think we need to shift the narrative. And this is the other thing that's big about, you know, these diseases is like there's so much stigmatization mm-hmm. around against people who are seen as like carriers. Right. And like we need to reshift, reframe all that and be like, thank you, folks, for self-quarantining. We love you. We're going to feed you. Make sure you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. We care about your mental health. Amazon, you created the fucking housing crisis in Seattle. Mm-hmm. You ruined this fucking city. H- houselessness is, you know, a public health hazard. So now this shit's blowing up here. Do this for mm-hmm. us. Do this for this city that has made everything possible for you. Mm-hmm. You have relied on the infrastructure of this city. You have relied on the workers in this city. You have, like, bought off our politicians to make all these huge profit. This is your payback moment. And relied on our regressive tax structure. Yeah. There this is, yeah. I, I do want to go back to the, the, play, the site in White Center. I'm going to say um, that we've been talking about structural issues for a while. And I think even assuming like the best intentions of the people who organized that and made that become reality, it's fundamentally like under the structures that we have easier to open a site like that in a place like White Center than in Kirkland. Like Mm -hmm. logistically, because of all the reasons that we talked about earlier with Superfund sites, with, um, Mm. with closing off people that we see see as less values it's just easier to open up a place like that in white center even assuming that they have the best intentions with trying to keep the public safe like it's it's going to happen faster under the systems that we have if they do it in a place where people are disenfranchised in communities of color i think it's hard too because like there's a pattern in the city of the like of communities of color and the houseless community being pitted against each other during times mm-hmm. like this. Exactly. And like how our communities also need to have conversations around like intersectionality and like standing mm-hmm. with folks and the humanity of folks who are homeless mm-hmm. and not 
like just shut down and say, you know, we are the ones that get targeted. Our the communities are the ones that get targeted. Push them out. Like we don't want them here. You know, yeah, and like how do we with bring the CID too? It happened. Totally happened with the, with the CID with the encampment. Center. Yeah, and yeah. the encampment first and then under right. the freeway and then the navigation center so like how That's do we right. use these opportunities to also have right. conversations in our communities around um intersectionality especially with our elders Think, and thinking about houseless folks as our neighbors and parts of right. our community yeah. right yeah yeah i think that comes thank you for saying that i think the anti-houseless homeless kind of sentiment in our communities need to be addressed the stigmatization right now of folks who have that you know, who may be positive mm -hmm. need to be addressed. And I think we will have a very different conversation if, you know, there was also quarantine sites in Kirkland, South Lake Union, you know, because mm -hmm. then it becomes a shared burden. It's mm -hmm. like, exactly. yes, mm -hmm. there is a public health crisis. We all need to come to the table and figure out what's best for our communities, right? And we, it's so hard to have that conversation mm -hmm. when there is like structural racism and right. mm -hmm. communities of color always the targets of, you know, this shit policies and yeah i just that's what yeah i think we just reproduce capitalist dynamics unless they're interrupted mm -hmm. right and crisis continues that reproduction easily because we are frantic and nervous so i feel like this is a time for the, the left to be like you know what are creative ways we can solve or address this crisis things that weren't possible maybe even two months ago now are on the table as very sensible, rational mm. solutions. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of those solutions? I've seen you posting on the Instagram. Um, well, we've started thinking about organizing our thoughts around this. Um, <laughs> first of all, it's like an immediate response. Like, how do we mm -hmm. address people's material needs in this mm -hmm. moment of crisis, especially um, immunocompromised folks, workers who are being sent home without pay, mm -hmm. um, workers who are unable to uh, go home, um, and um, older people as well. We're thinking about uh, class solidarity um, along those lines. Or how how do we organize? Um, workplaces so that people can make demands of their bosses together and feel safe in doing that without mm -hmm. um, compromising their uh, steady source of income. Um, how are we making demands on the existing systems? How are we um, telling the hoarders of capital <laughs> to mm -hmm. release some of that to the communities? Um, and so um, under like the ideas of like immediate response and uh, worker solidarity we're thinking about um, like horizontal mutual aid like how do we um, how do we grocery shop for people who have, are self quarantined and are afraid of going outside how, how do we provide child care for people whose kids are being sent home but um, from their schools but like they still have to go to work because mm -hmm. they don't have worker protections around mm -hmm. that um, how are we maintaining social relationships and preventing isolation and uh, impending mental health crisis around mm -hmm. being in your house by yourself for potentially weeks on end, you know? Um, so there's a lot that we can get creative with and a lot that I think we can do. We are each so, like, well-resourced and, like, when we come from an abundance mindset, like, there's so much we can do for each other and so much we can do to keep each other safe. Mm -hmm. I guess two things. One is I, I want to give a shout-out to our friends and, you know, loved ones in China, um, who have like gone through all this stuff absolutely right? and who are still going through it mm -hmm. and you know we've been in contact with people 
um, and we're learning from how they survive um, and the lessons that they get from being under this mandatory quarantine. That And the second thing I want to say from my own experience, I was um, involved in Occupy Seattle, or decolonized Occupy Seattle is what we call it. We, we call the movement here. So in the Occupy movement, and there was just like a lot of, you know, I, I'm sure folks here know about the Occupy movement, but for me at that time, it was so powerful to see, you know, a, a, a glimpse of how a different, how our social relations could be different, mm-hmm. right? Like people were sleeping together, people were like making food together, that people were bringing food. Like we had electricians, plumbers, we were squatting spots and electricians and plumbers would come to us and be like, I'll fix this shit up for you. You know, people were offering their services, offering their skills for no exchange of money, right? But mm-hmm. because they wanted to be part of something different. And I think that's what we need to tap into is that a lot of us feel so alienated, a mm-hmm. lot of us feel so sh- shitty about our lives like i mean i hope we don't feel obviously but you know about the way society is i feel uh, shitty now i feel <laughs> shitty too i'm just kidding i'm kidding pisces season pisces season the moon is beautiful though it was very beautiful yesterday full moon in virgo <laughs> how balanced i know water and okay okay i just cooperative talk i just want to say that because i think you know, when there are openings for new social relations to be explored and built, that's something we carry for in us, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think about this phrase, how, how can I be loyal to that moment? Mm-hmm. How can I be loyal to the moment where there wasn't, you know, where our, our relationships with each other wasn't determined just by, you know, commodified labor mm-hmm. or, you know, this kind of like, yeah, capitalist values. Mm-hmm. Like th- there was a glimpse and an opening to how a different world could look like. And I think this is, you know, we talk about horizontal mutual aid and horizontal mutual aid where like strangers are able to offer love and support to each other mm-hmm. in very concrete ways. That's one way we can know someone else whom we never, I mean, it sounds corny, you know, because the liberals have like co-opted like mm-hmm. compassion. But <laughs> but really like if, when you have genuine compassion, you know, that actually comes because we all understand where each other is at. That's mm-hmm. not coming from this pity of philanthropic like mm-hmm. politics. Like when we're actually in this shit together yes. and have to take mm-hmm. care of each other. Like that's a deep moment of trust and possible like opening to something different. You know? And that's how I wanna think about it of like what does it mean to build a working class abolitionist, anti racist, disability justice response to COVID-19 that is that draws on the brilliance skills you know compassion love of everyday people for each other mm-hmm. right that's not this neoliberal wash your hands go home and sleep kind of response yeah yeah what would you say speaking of like centering disability justice and this a lot of people are walking around being like it's just the flu don't worry about it. you know like not people I'm not I'm gonna recover you know like it's just a cough like it's only impacting this certain group of people. Like, uh, what would your response be to those folks? I mean, it's not just about like the healthy, right? It's the immunocompromised and the elderly, and mm-hmm. you just don't know who you're going to come in contact with and who they're going to come in contact with, right? That's like the whole point of social distancing, um, and it's really we've said this. It's like caring for your communities to 
avoid contact essentially yeah. yeah i think it's a symptom of the fragmentation of our society you know that we can walk around and not think about you know on the bus Mm-hmm. You're going to interact with someone who might be immunocompromised. You mm-hmm. know, your neighbor might be like an 80 year old elder, you know, mm-hmm. who actually needs you to be clean. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, yeah, just like with our daily living, it's so easy to just be so individualistic of like, I'm good. You know, I'm the only person whom I need to care for and everyone else go figure your shit out. Like that's, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I do. I do think. I just want to situate that within like this broader social, how we have been socialized mm-hmm. and how we mm-hmm. internalize. One of the questions we got on Twitter as we're promoting this episode, because obviously this has been a hot topic mm-hmm. conversation, is um, the Seattle Public Schools have not has decided not to close yet, um, and there are teachers down, especially in the South End, when there's not as much resources there to necessarily teach from home or do things that uh, better resource schools are able to do, um, especially in the North, what is the district that closed down? North North, uh, North Shore? Yeah, Something but pretty like sure that. the Kirkland schools are actually still open too, like Evergreen, at the epicenter, like just a few yeah. miles away from well, there's Yeah, there's a handful of schools yeah. that closed, but there's a lot of Seattle public schools who have decided not to close yet. That might change literally before this podcast comes out. But do you guys have a hard stance on maybe just, I mean, we're talking about responsibility and making sure that we do our job to protect our communities, especially those who are um, compromised um, health-wise. I mean, under our current system, closing a school has a lot of implications, right? You're thinking about childcare and then people who have will still be have to go to work Mm -hmm. right and so i think there's a lot of considerations to be had with that in an ideal world yes i think everyone would be staying home right now and trying to avoid contact in those ways but unfortunately like with what we have right now that's just not it would be incredibly burdensome to on this current system which it's it's really sad yeah it's a really nihilist sad Mm -hmm. cynical response yeah. of you know we're gonna choose between a lesser death you know what i mean like to maintain the system scenarios mm-hmm. yeah like to to maintain the system you're keeping the schools open you're telling people to still go to work right like if you were to tell people to oh send all your kids home you don't need to go to work we'll still compensate you your income will be safe you don't have to worry about making rent this month then like we're proving that the system doesn't have to exist right we're proving mm, that capitalism exactly is not the best way to organize ourselves right Right. or align ourselves with i mean this this crisis public health crisis a very real crisis is exposing a lot of (laughs) shortcomings of everything going on i think you know there's everyone's talking about the how clean the air is getting in china because of all the stopped flights and factories and like they're showing this like map or i don't know how they met i'm not a scientist we can get our air back yeah, they're showing the comparison pre-COVID-19, post-COVID-19, and the air quality has drastically improved. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, climate change, right? A lot of questions that we have to answer around um, questions about our environment. is we're, and, and consumption. Yeah, and consumption are being... Mm-hmm. We're having to face head on. Um, 
I wanted to take a quick break and play, do a new segment that I'm going to drop on everybody right now. Ooh. Lizzie and JM. Young organizer comes up to you, says, I'm trying to help keep my grandparents quarantined and safe. I, I can only bring with me three DVDs to get through. What are you recommending? I already know your answer, Jim. You're going to say, get a Netflix account, watch To All the Boys I Loved yeah, yeah. 10 times. It's so good. Terrace House? Do you guys watch Terrace House? Mm-mm. Do you guys watch K drama? I watched Wholesome. one season of Terrace House and I was like, this is going to suck me in, so I can't. So <laughs> Which addicted. one? The Hawaii one? It was the one where they're in uh, Kurosawa. No, what, what is it? This It's in the country with all the winter sports. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I didn't see that one. Yeah. What are they bringing, though? What? Wait, are these DVDs for the elders or for them? Uh, maybe at least one of the three has to be a co-watching experience. And two is just like when they go to sleep at 4 p.m. I go with Mrs. Doubtfire. Ooh, you like that. Hot jumbler. Oh, Home Alone. Am I dating myself? No, you're <laughs> not. A little, a little bit. I mean, you're definitely, there is an umbrella that you're speaking from right now. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire, classic. But the elders would definitely love those too, though, mm-hmm. for sure. I'm going to say I can't come from a politically diverse family, mm. and uh, we can definitely bond around the Beethoven series. Ooh. The dog oh, one? The dog. Oh, I love a good dog movie. Oh, that was yeah. the first Damn. movie I watched in the movies. Ooh. And I yelled out loud, that's a big TV. <laughs> oh, Myra. Wait, <laughs> it's when, not that. When did that come out? Day, I said when I was a kid. When did that come out? Uh, well, I must have been a child. So after 88 at some point. Probably 91, 92. That's my guess. The first movie I saw as a child was The Last Emperor. Whoa, oh, that's fantastic! What's going on, baby JM? Been intense ever since then. Holy shit! <laughs> the last that's the, the last origin emperor. story. <laughs> JM's origin story of being a really dope, intense person who is watching the Emperor. <laughs> the last Emperor. Have you guys seen it? Not in forever. Oh yeah, but not my first movie. <laughs> what was your first movie? Then? My first movie that I can remember was star wars i'm gonna date myself it was not the original ones it was episode, episode one. one yeah and my brother fell asleep halfway through the movie and we had to leave <laughs> but my I dad my dad never hung out with us and for some weird reason he was like i think he felt guilty one night and he was like i'm gonna take my young boys to a midnight premiere of star wars <laughs> also english is his second language so he didn't understand any of it we're oh. in a midnight screening and we're like five and six years old and my brother's knocked out and i'm sitting there being like i'm bonding with my dad he couldn't understand anything my brother's sleeping and i'm just trying to one more minute, Dad. <laughs> like you never forgot. No, dude. Immigrant life, dude. And then my it mom. It sucks that it was episode one. Yeah. My mom, I think, felt guilty because I told my mom, "Look, he took us to the movies," and my mom took us to another late showing of the first Harry Potter. Ooh. Oh wow! And we were late, and there were people who snuck in. So my mom and I had to sit on the stairs, and she sat on the stairs of the theater with me and watched the whole thing it was oh. a good it was a good moment Dang. So we never sweet. watched another movie again oh <laughs> so can i ask a covid question yeah we're back we're back um the 
I saw like some modeling in a in an article I read over the weekend about how um, containment is critical in order to not like put so much pressure on our healthcare system that can't actually um, like doesn't actually have like the medical supplies at, or the medical beds to be able to take care of people in the crisis. So are what's like the what's the temperature on the inside of the healthcare system? Like, are you hearing from people that they are stressed? How are they reacting to it? Are they getting what they need? I mean, we're past containment. Yeah. Yeah. But at, you know, the next step of how to mitigate or community mitigation, how to mitigate the effects of people getting this virus. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, because it's out in the community, their carriers. I think now, you know, we need the testing. We need to know who actually is positive. We need to pump out the public health education of what, what do you do when you suspect that you're positive, right? How, how do you have access to health care? I mean, which again, tap into these deeper structural inequities in our society. But, you know, I think that's where we're at. Um, it's already in our community. Mm -hmm. So... Does it seem like at least the measures, the containment measures that we're taking now are going to flatten the curve of the outbreak so that our healthcare system can catch up? And Or is there really just no way to tell whether or not this is going to be a major crisis in our system that, we, that will get beyond what we can handle? I mean, I'm not in the real-time conversation. I don't, you know, just to be completely transparent, I don't know. Um, what epidemiologists are saying right now, um, what kind of conversations folks at King County Public Health are having with folks from other states and other, other jurisdictions. Um, I do think that level of exchange is really important um, for us to know what next. I do think there are measures folks are trying to take to expand um, the resources, you know, I, I think I read somewhere that they're, they're creating some ad hoc like testing centers, um, health centers for people to um, access health care and stuff. So I don't know. It's a really scary for me, like as someone who's also really anxious, I'm nervous. Mm -hmm. I think I'm really worried there's going to be a major outbreak. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing with China one thing they have is like a lot of respirators you know you're talking mm -hmm. with south korea when we, when we think of other countries that have been hit hard like south korea china they have public health you know they have medical resources right so there's ventilators respirators you know things like that that are accessible and here i don't know if we have that right and I, I don't know you know if these medical like if these major hospitals if they're gonna be primarily responding to COVID-19, it's gonna create pressure for the rest of the healthcare system to take on the usual mm -hmm. patients, mm -hmm. right? Because people are still still gonna get infections, people are still gonna get, you know, diabetes complications, like the usual like load mm -hmm. um, is still gonna be present. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that we have that capacity. Um, and when I think of like countries like Italy, um, you know, where austerity has really taken over in the last few years, mm -hmm. you know, and I think of the U.S., like the austerity measures have are our, like, 
way of life. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we have been normalized to live. Um, we don't have a very strong public health infrastructure, right? The CDC budget was cut. I mean, pre-Trump it was cut, you know, but yeah, I, I'm really nervous we don't have um, the infrastructure to carry A, the burden of COVID-19 and B, the collateral damage that it, that results from the rest of our healthcare system being diverted mm-hmm. into this rapid response. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't know if, you know, I don't trust this government to give us accurate numbers, mm-hmm. right? That's not transparency. I mean, I was just reading today, like in all these other places, there's been major testing, like hundreds of thousands of testing kits out the moment folks knew about deaths. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., I was just reading at, at that Kirkland nursing facility, they haven't even tested all the elders mm-hmm, in yeah. there. That's freaking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about maybe 100 elders, you know? Mm-hmm. You would think, like, emergency measure would be all you guys need to get tested mm-hmm. and, like, some people need to be quarantined, whatever, right? But for us to be hearing, oh, 20 more people from Kirkland Nursing Home, you know, contracted this virus. Oh, and 30 people haven't been tested. I'm like, that's weird it's weird weird? too because how are they protecting the workers i think that workers are feeling really nervous and i think that you know the system is trying to do what it can within its limits but again those limits mean that people aren't going to feel like they're coming from a place of abundance and like Mm -hmm. they're going to feel really nervous about where they are yeah Mm -hmm. um i think that it's hard to say like if our healthcare system will be over capacity with this crisis, uh, generally speaking. But having worked for a healthcare system that, um, a statewide healthcare system that had hospitals in many different counties, I think what we'll see is that the disparities will be exacerbated. Um, there are hospitals that operate um, at greater than than 90 capacity, 90% capacity for their hospital beds on a consistent basis. Um, And they just have a higher demand uh, on their healthcare system because their communities um, have not been invested in because they are exposed to all the things that we talked about previously with um, environmental hazards, with uh, low access to nutritional food, nutritious food. Um, And so, the health status of those communities is exacerbated and then the health care system in those communities is underinvested in as well. So they're already operating at like close to maximum capacity. Whereas in wealthier communities where people have an overall um, better health status because they have access to nutritious food, they have a safe built environment, they have access to education, they have a higher income overall, they have a lower burden of disease and mm-hmm. but at the same time they're hospitals and health systems are being invested in at a much higher rate Mm -hmm. they're operating at a lower capacity in their Mm -hmm. hospitals they have maybe a 60 percent bed fill rate Mm -hmm. and so i think in a crisis like this you're going to see those disparities become exacerbated and you know i don't think that all this it's really cynical for me to say that i think i would be surprised if all of a sudden um we started saying like oh we have resources in the next county over you can go there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's not cynical that's pretty close to what we have so that's real to me that's being realistic Mm -hmm. what do you guys think about the the 
the the praise of uh billionaires like bill gates having right now with all we're gonna release all these at-home testing i mean at this point he can go run for governor himself (laughs) is that like is that we'd be like yeah good use your money we need that or stop diverting the attention away from the real problem like how do we navigate that situation as leftists yeah I think we should demand all that we can from yeah. these motherfuckers. I think we can demand more. <laughs> yeah. I think we can demand more. I mean, they created, you know, they're part of the austerity crisis in the U.S. where the state is like, again, like outsourcing a lot of, you know, things that in, you know, social democratic governments where the state takes on the responsibility of healthcare, right? Of like education, right? There's been a systematic divestment from those functions of the state and it's been privatized, right? So you have the Gates Foundation pushing charter schools, right? And, you know, like privatization of medicine, like all these things that, you know, they they have divested, they're part of the Amazons and the Gates Foundations, they're part of divestment from the state. And now when crisis hits, they're doing this stuff and we're supposed to thank them. Mm-hmm. We're, so, we're supposed to be like, thank you for destroying our infrastructure mm-hmm. and you know, letting us live. It's just, it's like, yeah. I mean, I, I think we just can't look at them isolated in this moment, right? We also have to look at them like globally. What are they doing globally? They're, they're contributing to food insecurity globally, like through mm-hmm. the movements that they commodify food, you know, mm-hmm. they like, they're part of the green you, revolution yeah that and then there's the recent stuff around the golden rice stuff like mm-hmm. patenting like rice which so many people in asia depend on but mm-hmm. now they have to pay corporations to be able to plant you know this this thing that has been generationally and centuries you know ours and they can't they do shit like that and then donate money it's like philanthropic capitalism i think mm-hmm. that's the phrase for it right and it's the same thing with amazon amazon threw down i think one million dollars to this two million dollar fund that the state is putting out i'm like great good we should have a fund but Yo, you owe us more than one million dollars. Amazon's yeah. profits in 2019, I just looked up, were $70 billion. Um, when you think about, yeah, I like, my little brain cannot even imagine yeah. the scale of one million dollars compared to 70 billion. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. They could be doing so, so much, much more. more. The thing is, is like, he's going to, it's still a charitable contribution through the Gates Foundation, and he's going to get a tax deduction because of yes. what mm-hmm. he's doing. So, yes. if anything, it's just like put poor money into figuring out how to actually run a campaign statewide to support progressive taxes, income taxes. Can I shift us a little bit? I know that y'all also do a lot of work with folks on the inside who are currently incarcerated. Um, have you all been able to talk to them about what it's been like inside the prisons, especially mm-hmm. in Washington State? Yeah, I've talked to a few folks um, on the inside and you know, folks from APICAG. I wanna give a shout out the Asian Pacific Islander Cultural Blah! Awareness Group and um, the Black Prisoner Caucus, the BPC. Mm-hmm. And folks inside have been organizing big time um, for their own liberation and building relationships with community. Um, And what I'm hearing is that there's some kind of, I don't know, maybe 
and again this is like a very small sample size of mm -hmm. two um and you know people are what i'm hearing is that oh people feel really disconnected from this anxiety mm. and panic that's outside and are just like okay which for me i'm like the angle i take towards it is like your conditions always suck <laughs> yeah you know you always i mean hep a hep c like these are like proliferating in the prisons all the time right mm. and you know people have managed to live their lives by like being very conscious of their sanitary like sanitation right in these very dirty unhealthy conditions and so you bring in another coronavirus it's like oh it's been that way mm -hmm. you know which mm -hmm. is really tragic right that this is the fact of people's lives um but that's why i'm hearing people are like oh the folks i talk to are like oh wait tell me more about this panic i just see on tv but yeah. you know we're not really changing how we do things here because mm -hmm. that's business as usual do we have an idea of how many folks inside are like have compromised immune systems who like if this were to get into the prisons like the magnitude of how devastating it would be i mean i don't have numbers right, and statistics right, right. right now but um i would i would imagine it would be really bad mm -hmm. because people live in close quarters right um right and you know prison health services aren't bullshit oh my god yeah. <laughs> and we can talk about northwest detention center resistance yeah. just put out a demand um to you know release folks from shout the out inside to yeah yeah yeah, shout out to for a long time. yeah and you know it's just terrible we talked about environmental like racism and the conditions people live in are just like you know there's so much pollution and toxins mm -hmm. that just being there right. puts you in an immunocompromised condition mm -hmm. um so i think people's like immune systems aren't strong to begin with so right. and there's so many elders who are incarcerated right yeah, and yeah. a big part of the parole bill that just went up um which i don't think is going through but a big part of it was to let elders get the fuck out of prison yeah. and like live their last years you know out here <sighs> right and like these elders i'm thinking you know there's yeah. no ems there's mm -hmm. no rapid response you know and they're just gonna chalk it up to some random xyz death and mm -hmm. there's no accountability mm -hmm. um DOC has no accountability. So I think it's scary. But then again, it's like what is visible and what is, you know, mm -hmm. hidden, right? So if these people pass away from coronavirus, are they going to be logged as death from coronavirus? Or is it just going to be, oh, the hidden deaths, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. secondary infections, whatever, right? The hidden mm -hmm. deaths. And um, part of the organizing is to expose that, right. is to name and value the lives people are living and that their deaths aren't shouldn't just be hidden under you know pre-existing conditions and one of the other things that like the concerns would be is if you know worst case scenario we on the outside get put under like what mandatory quarantine is that what it's called mm -hmm. that is further lessening the amount of relationships that folks can have with their family members and with their loved ones who are incarcerated and just like that social interaction being taken away on top of being incarcerated and like on top of all the compounding things that happen when people are inside these prisons, um, that like makes my stomach drop. 
because you know like it's just like you were talking about like with folks who are are homeless it's like this out of sight out of mind thing that you know we just perpetuate and i don't think people are thinking about the ramifications of further isolating people that are in these prisons um Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> Inslee might shut down the city. We don't know what it's going to look like in the next week or two. How can activists and organizers help prepare community for a possible city shutdown? Well, first of all, what does a city shutdown look like? I can't even Can I imagine it? Can I reframe that maybe? Yeah. Okay. I, I, so we started our conversation talking about crisis capitalism and the ways that the state responds to crisis in order to push for even further um, like neoliberal policies. Yeah. So now I think is the time for activist communities and communities to think about mm-hmm. the community that we would want to envision living in and be strategic about what we can do to create that in this moment. So what are the, some of the things that and some of the demands or some of the ways that we can come together and think through and start organizing our thoughts around what we want to do in the long term and the short term to to get that to kind of combat whatever the state's response will be thank you that's a really good question and it's something that i don't feel i wish i had a more thought out response to it um but i think that's something I hope we can, you know, we we do this IG page, COVID-19 Mutual Aid, and also a Facebook page, COVID-19 Mutual Aid-Seattle, and we're hoping that's a space where folks can come together to share, you know, strategies for survival, um, drawing a lot from, you know, disability communities that have been doing this for a long time. And I think I just want to also name one thing this crisis brings up to the surface is we are all temporarily abled which is one of the main like statements from disability justice movements, right? Of like, don't take, you know, don't think that you're that different from folks who have chronic illness or who are elders who have, you know, disabilities. We all confront that moment and mm-hmm. we all have to rely on each other at some point. Right. Um, I, I want to say, yeah. So back to your point, I think, you know, it's, it's to not surrender our power to the state to make to to give it the authority to make decisions for us which does not mean that we shouldn't you know self-quarantine which does not mean that we shouldn't take measures to protect each other but it means we take it on our own terms right and we always like understand why we're doing certain things like we always build the infrastructure at in this moment to take care of each other the infrastructure that can stay after I mean, hopefully COVID-19, this scare slash outbreak slash epidemic um, ends at some point. Um, but I don't know. I feel like that's a really big question and I, I need, you know, support thinking through it. One thing I did want to name is a lot of people reference China right now and like, oh, China has this, you know, 
like really established infrastructure that allowed them to do these lockdowns, right? In like a lot of public health circles, is being lifted up as like an example. Mm-hmm. Even though, even though there were a lot of deaths, even though it's you know they hid the news for a long time, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. people are still referencing China as they were efficient and fast. You know, they learned from SARS and like they did the right thing by locking folks down. And I just want to remind us that this same infrastructure that's able to respond quickly. To this quarantine and this crisis is also the same infrastructure that has shut down labor movement, shut down human rights movements. It's the same state infrastructure that's being mobilized, right? And we need to reject state authoritarianism. We need to reject collectivism that's, you know, coming from the state. We need to embrace a sense of collectivism and collectivity, collective well-being that's decided by us, democratic you know, feminist, queer lib, you know, all that. Let's throw in all the values we believe in and think about how can we build a collective, like how how can we build a, a vision of collective wellness through that, right, that doesn't sacrifice our, that doesn't just abandon and give up our rights to the state. So we have, we don't, I feel like the options that are laid out between us now are like this extreme neoliberalism, wash your hands, everything is good, just trust the state, you know, let's operate as, as if we we aren't connected to each other, um, we have we need to create a third option that's not this neoliberal response and also not this state collectivism slash authoritarian response. And think about what is another way of being a collective together, where we can accept the totality of who we are, and you know have democracy and center life and center wellness. Um, and I think that's the vision, right? That's that's what we want to preserve after shit ends, after shit goes down. Um, and that's not something we can create alone. I mean, who knows? The world, I mean, I just read something that, you know, we're about to hit the recession. It's comparable to 2008 because the markets are just plummeting. So who knows what the post-coronavirus world is going to look like? And I think that's part of the anxieties. We don't know. Where can we find the list of demands that the organizers put out for whatever city that they're in? You guys posted. Was it? Is there? Sorry, am I mistaken? Is there a list of demands from grassroots organizers um, in re- for the, uh, to push this, their city's response to how they're handling the COVID nineteen situation? Yeah, we've we've uh, posted a few different lists of demands um, on at COVID nineteen mutual aid. Um, you've got a list of demands from grassroots organizers. You've got a list of demands from Resistencia. Um, we have started to craft our own as well. Um, so yeah, you can find those there. Cool. Yeah, there is there is a um, Google Docs that was put out by. Kelly Haynes, I think it's their name, um, from Chicago, and they got a lot. And, you know, I just want to name them to give a shout-out to the work that they're doing. And there was a lot of folks from the medical public health community that signed on to it, and it was a lot around, like, demanding transparency, demanding a hotline, destigmatizing testing, destigmatizing folks who are positive, you know, who are testing positive for coronavirus, and, like, you know, valuing, like, folks who are houseless, um, folks who are incarcerated. So there is that list, um that's going around on social media. Um, we created a preliminary list 
um, as grassroots organizers that we think um, that is more specific to King County. Okay, cool. Um, and that's also on the social media page. And we'll continue to develop as well. Yeah, I think, yeah. As, yeah. We, as we connect with more organizers and um, continue to yeah. think through and as the situation develops. Right. And I think, you know, the principles of mutual aid are important to put out right now of just, mm. you know, the beauty of mutual aid is like is decentralized mm-hmm. care right and drawing from like the brilliance and you know connections that everyday people have with one another and so none of this is for us to be like oh we're doing this and this is the totality of things that are going down it's not that like the spirit of mutual aid is everyone who can do something do it you know and how can we amplify and support each other's efforts and that's actually how things happen, right? Because you don't, and that's that's the that's the old school status mentality is this micromanaging and needing to like, you know, follow everything down to the T. We're like, no, that shit doesn't work, especially in moments like that. Like it's, you can't, the state and all these infrastructures are not, they're not dynamic. People are dynamic, right? right? right. Um, and so that's what we want to put out there as like some of the principles of mutual aid is to you know value each other, disability justice. No one's depo- is no one is disposable, wherever they are, incarcerated or not. Um, yeah, and yeah, decentralized organizing. Do y'all want to tell the people where they can find you on social media? Yeah, um, we are hanging up at COVID-19 Mutual Aid. Uh, Parasol also has an Instagram, which is new. I'm going to look up our handle because it's that <laughs> new. Boomer. Oh, basically. <laughs> and we also have a Facebook page. We Co- are Parasol spelled P-A-R-I-S-O-L underscore Seattle. So what is Parasol? Parasol is Pacific Rim Solidarity Network. Uh, It is a group of leftist Chinese and Chinese diaspora individuals um, working in an anti-capitalist, anti-racist lens. Um, Four areas of work include model minority mutiny, uh, community building, international solidarity, and cultural healing and learning. And we have been connected with the COVID-19 situation since it broke out in China. And we did a fundraiser recently before it broke out here. Um, and a lot of folks generously donated, which we recently sent. We sent the money to folks at Wuhan. Um, but I do want to say one thing that's kind of ironic, funny, mm. is, you know, we also had masks and um, hand sanitizer donations. And we were trying to figure out how to mail those to mainland China and Hong Kong. And then our friends called us and told us, you know, now that the outbreak's happening in the U.S., you guys should keep that because your healthcare sucks, Aww. and you probably need that more than us right now. It's community so. Damn, <laughs> this That's is the richest aid. country, That's richest country aid. in the world. Internationalism, okay. baby. Yeah.